0: Hello and welcome to Critical To Your Success. Thanks for joining me. I am your host, Rachel Park. I'm a critical care nurse, academic and researcher from Auckland, New Zealand. This is the podcast where I talk to critical care nurses, allied healthcare team members and academics about what has been critical to their success. And I do hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. This is episode number 21, recorded in October 2020. And today I talk with Dr Alison Pirrett. Alison is a nurse practitioner in the critical care complex Middlemore Hospital here in Auckland, New Zealand. She works clinically within the ICU outreach service, sharing the role with the ICU registrars and the patient at risk team, and providing care to the physiologically unstable ward and emergency department patients. She is actively involved in nursing and interdisciplinary research, Her research interests include advanced nursing practice, diagnostic reasoning, and improving patient outcomes. She is also employed as a senior lecturer in the School of Nursing, Massey University, and coordinates and teaches the postgraduate clinical assessment paper um, and teaches in the Nurse Practitioner Training Programme. She is also assistant editor of the Journal of Intensive and Critical Care Nursing. In this episode, we talk about seeking opportunities in nursing, Why a collaborative approach and relationships within medicine is so important, how the outreach service was set up and the pathway to becoming a nurse practitioner, the importance of bringing a nursing lens to patient care, the benefits to patients and families of nurse practitioners and how we constantly try to normalise the abnormal. Sound familiar? So grab a cuppa, sit back and have a listen to the interview with Alison. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Alison, for joining me today. This is very exciting. Um, So we're both in Auckland but at different ends of Auckland (laughs) and um, looking forward to a long weekend ahead of us as well. So um, great way to start the weekend by recording this interview. So thank you. So I thought we'd just get started by talking about why you chose nursing in the first place. Was there any reason? Well, thank you for inviting me, firstly. Reason
1: for nursing is a bit of a funny story, really, because my father was a bank manager, so we used to get transferred. So I ended up in um, a small town in the middle of the North Island called Taumurinawe. So Mm -hmm. it was a um, small hospital there. And I probably had wanted to be a nurse as a child for a little while, and I was given a nurse's outfit as a present, like you do. Um, And when I look back, there were things in my childhood um, that were key to my ending, my decision and being in nursing for a long time. And one of the things I remember was visiting my grandfather. And he was poorly and my aunt was there who was a nurse. And so she had to get granddad into bed. And I go into the room to peep around the corner and there's granddads lying on two pillows, perfect bed, the old way that patients (laughs) used to sit. There was a dressing table in front of him and a large wooden wardrobe beside him. And I decided I would go out and pick him some flowers. And so I picked some flowers and I walked into the room and put them on the dressing table because that was propped up on two pillows. That's what he could see. And my aunt, who was a nurse, started to put them on the wardrobe next to him. (laughs) And I said... But he can't see them from there, until March, And so she eventually put them on the dressing table. And I think I look back and I think it's wanting to make that little bit of difference mm. that was always important. And saying that, getting into nursing when I was in a small town, I decided that um, I didn't necessarily want to be a nurse at the time. Um, when I was leaving school and I in fact applied for the office job and saying that it was nine to five only $18 a week and my mother wouldn't <laughs> let me <laughs> so she said go nursing so we went for a nursing interview and I think you'll find out as you go through and I was hospital-based trained um I've had an amazing career as a nurse It's provided so many opportunities. And while I went in, because it was a convenient position at the time, that's where I found my strengths. I found my sh- strengths in studying because I was interested in the role. I found the enjoyment of working with people and, um, and caring for people. Um, it has provided so many opportunities being a nurse. So I didn't realise, firstly, when I went into nursing, but do when I look back, yeah. um, certainly found it a career. And I think what the opportunities we have for nurses going into nursing now are quite different Mm. to what I had a number of years ago. The opportunities are immense and um, people will freely talk about all those opportunities but certainly I didn't hear about those opportunities when I first went nursing.
0: Mm. There's certainly so many more roles available Mm. there and and options for where you work and how you do your work and the clients or patients that you work with Um, and we Go On and talk a little bit about you know some of those um, shortly as well. So, you did your training in your local hospital, yes, I did, yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) which would have um, been interesting.
0: It was a wonderful training
1: experience, really. Um, you know, we had medical wards, um, older persons wards, we didn't call them those in those days. We had maternity, um, paediatrics, so med surge, maternity, paediatrics, and there was a district nursing service interestingly enough there were no on-site doctors out of ours wow. so the comfort with learning how to manage that and mm. working more independently and thinking mm. more independently and knowing when to call I think I was lucky to develop those skills quite early yeah, yeah. yeah and I yeah. think that's influenced my whole career
0: really mm.
1: I'm not used to working under a junior doctor system Um, and certainly when I first came to Minimal, which was a long time ago and somebody cardiac arrested and I put out the emergency call and said did you call somebody to come and intubate and I said no (laughs) because in a small hospital I thought a doctor could do everything everything because that's how they did it um um so yeah it was uh It was a great experience. I think it's influenced me all through um, all the different roles I've had in nursing. I think that ability to independently think um, Mm. and escalate to the right person we need to, I think it's certainly been a huge influence on me. And I value that time at that small hospital.
0: Mm. What did you move on to next or what sort of other roles?
1: From Tomaranui. In Tomoranui, because I was in a small hospital, I got all these secondment positions. Interestingly, I was seconded into the tutorial department for um, a period of time. Um, So it was hospital-based training in those Mm -hmm. days. Um, The year I started nursing was the first polytechnic course that year. Um, I was seconded to run a surgical ward for six weeks so I ended up in all these secondments and then at a very in the first year of nursing I was seconded to be in charge of a medical ward that included a four-bed ICU HDU Um, Mm -hmm. and that was quite early in my nursing so that was my first taste if you like of intensive care. Um, My husband Um, was working in the bank and we got transferred up to Auckland and I ended Mm -hmm. up at Middlemore. And um, so that's where I did my ICU training. I did it very um, early in my time at Middlemore and there was only three of us in the ICU course at the time. And of course, in those days, it was a hospital-based course. So, And so that really continued my career in intensive care
0: nursing. Mm. Mm. So tell us about working in intensive care. What did you enjoy about it? In
1: intensive care, um, when I first started in intensive care and came to Middlemore, there was no one nurse per ventilated patient. We would have had two nurses on a shift. We'd have six ventilated patients. It was very different to what we have now. What I enjoyed, of course, I was young. I enjoyed the shift work suited me because it gave Mm. me flexibility to do all sorts of things I enjoyed the team I worked with when I first um, came to Middlemore we had no registrars it was just our um, senior doctors and they weren't intensivists in those days it was the senior anaesthetist Um, and I just enjoyed once again that type of independence you could do to make a difference to your patients, Um, whether it be pick up something early. We didn't necessarily have alarms on machines in those days, so Mm. I'm not saying we should go back to practice how we did then because practice has improved significantly since those days. But as a young nurse, it still was an exciting place I wanted to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Middlemore Hospital.
1: Middlemore Hospital is in South Auckland, which is a very mixed area. So South Auckland, um, it covers um, lower socioeconomic area. Um, And at the time, it wasn't so so, low socioeconomic because we were just starting to get migration from the Pacific. We were getting different communities of Māori. There were pockets of state housing, but there were also quite affluent areas. Mm. But certainly as an area, it wasn't as affluent as other areas. Mm -hmm. So at the time, Middlemore was one of three hospitals in Auckland. Um, So there was Auckland City, there was Green Lane, which was predominantly known for cardiothoracic and quite very well known for heart surgery in New Zealand. And then there was Middlemore and we were known for plastic surgery and orthopaedic Mm -hmm. surgery. And so I did my intensive care course very early and I had the opportunity to go around different hospitals. And I thought the nurses working at the other hospitals, they looked so sophisticated and flash (laughs) and they wore makeup and everything looked very tidy. And I also noticed um, the difference in money. I noticed yeah. there was more money, and that was clear, even as a very young nurse in Auckland and Green Lane. And so Middlemore was known as the poor cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, we, however, had really good um, expertise in orthopaedics. There were some great um, nurses in orthopaedics and in plastic surgery, and I, um, they were wonderful Mm-hmm. Um, but we were also known as being a very collaborative, friendly hospital. And I think that was unique to Middlemore um, because we were seen as the poor cousin. We developed mm-hmm. this collaborative relationships with each other. Um, and I think that's been special about Middlemore. Mm-hmm. I think it's changed a little bit as the years have gone by. It's certainly um, as health has changed. It's not the same. We've grown bigger. Um it's a more hospitals are more complex now um yeah. the type of patients are different now um to what we had when I first started in intensive care but certainly um that ability to get in do it together no matter what, was part of middlemore
0: mm. yeah mm-hmm. it always has been that sort of yeah. attitude yeah. I- because yeah. I first worked at Middlemore after I finished my training. So, yeah, mm. to that. Mm. <laughs> not an ICU, <laughs> but an orthopaedics, funnily enough. So. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, So there we go. <laughs> so I guess too now, it's not just intensive care unit at Middlemore. We have the critical care complex, which mm-hmm. um, is quite a, a large organisation too that you're part of. So yes. how, do, how does that work? Okay, so
1: the critical care complex is provides a number of services. So we have a 12-bed ICU um, and we had a six-bed HDU. So those services were provided. However, our long-term spinal patients and our long-term patients that have been difficult to wean, we're now finding that we may after a period of time, bring them over to HDU because there's better light, there's better windows, there's better Mm. view. Um, So it's much better for their rehabilitation. So it is shifting. um, So we may have more, you know, those two beds taken up from HDU. We obviously Mm. need um, a couple of beds in ICU for the non-ventilated patients. So we have that service. What's really important part of the service is the outreach service. So We have been developing that since 2004. I think we started medical emergency team calls. It might have been just before that. Um, So our registrar was part of joining the hospital medical emergency team and it responded to change in vital sign criteria. That was single criteria. I started my role as an ICU outreach nurse practitioner in 2006. Um, I didn't do MET calls at the time because there was such a big gap out there um, for dealing with stuff to prevent patients from deteriorating in the ward. Um, When I was in ICU, I was starting to see a lot of preventable admissions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was not starting to feel right for me. Um, And I decided I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. And when I discussed it with our SMO, um, we identified that was the biggest gap. Mm -hmm. So we started that in 2006. And in 2009, we developed our patient at risk team. And they were predominantly from nurses who worked outside ICU as clinical resource nurses. Some of them had some ICU background, but we didn't have enough ICU nurses at the time, um, trained nurses for our unit. So we bought these nurses in. We provided them with education um, orientation program. I worked with everyone to improve um, the expertise. We shifted the focus of their role and they have been an amazing team. So a big part of critical care complex um, now is not just ICU and HDU, but also um, that outreach service from met calls um, for higher escalation early warnings or higher threshold early warning scores and the PAR team for lower threshold early warning scores. So that's been a significant change in our critical care complex as we've developed. That has um, become a huge part of our team. And particularly when we have few beds, we need to make sure we use our beds wisely. So we need to pick up patients, identify them early in the ward, treat where we can, and um, transfer to ICU and HDU if it's needed. So we provide the care for those patients who need us
0: most. So acting sort of a little bit as a gatekeeper, but also as the ambulance at the top of the cliff rather than the bottom of the cliff? Yeah. yeah. And
1: if you look at our patient at risk team data, um, a high percentage stay in the ward and clinically improve. Um, and that's just getting the team really school nurses have been able to assess. They can diagnose, they can put in a plan of care, they cannot prescribe, they are not nurse practitioners, but they can also coordinate care with the team to make sure the patient receives the right care. And they can escalate to nurse practitioners um, or registrar, ICU registrars, depending who's on for that day. Um, And if neither of us are available, they can escalate straight to the SMO. They can also escalate straight to the SMO if they don't agree with the registrar or the nurse practitioner. So there's always the safety net to make sure that we're really meeting the needs of the patient population.
0: Yeah, so important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So tell us about how you become a nurse practitioner. What is the pathway to that? Okay.
1: The pathway wasn't as um, defined, if you like, when I became a nurse practitioner. So I reached in 2006, and I can't remember if I was nurse practitioner number 23 or 24, um, and certainly the first in my area specialty. Now it is so much clearer, so I'll talk about what's required now. Um, So... Now, it is a Master of Nursing or um, a similar degree. Universities call them a little bit different, um, but they have similar content. So it is a 240-point master's degree, and there are compulsory papers that nurses need to do. So there's the assessment paper, pathophysiology paper, Um, there is a clinical pharmacology paper and there's a research paper or evidence-based paper. Mm -hmm. So they're the four compulsory papers. Nowadays, we have a nurse practitioner training program and that is two papers um, done right at the end of the degree. And what's wonderful about that nurse practitioner training program, it really prepares nurses to register as a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. Um, So to be funded, it's funded. So that that nurse can get two funded days a week um, to prepare as a nurse practitioner. It pays some funding towards a clinical preceptor, to support that nurse practitioner. But the other thing that program does is it ensures that the hospital is supporting a position at the end Mm -hmm. of that um, degree. So that's really preparing the organization for um, nurse practitioner practice. Now that is currently not the only way to do nurse practitioner registration. so nurses, there's many nurses who have a master's, they may have all the requirements, including a prescribing practicum, but they haven't gone through a nurse practitioner training program. Mm. Um, you can still apply to Nursing Council of New Zealand and submit a portfolio Um to apply for nurse practitioner registration. You still need the 240 point masters and you still need the compulsory papers of assessment, physiology, clinical pharmacology and research or evidence-based practice. And for those nurses, they would have needed a prescribing practicum where they have been mentored as well. Yeah. Yeah. So they would have had that, but um, they may have not, um, being able to access the Nurse Practitioner Training Programme, or had done their Masters prior to the Nurse Practitioner pr- Training Programme becoming established. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So you spoke about the benefits of um, Nurse Practitioners. What are the benefits, and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit but before I forget, um, what are the benefits of having a Nurse Practitioner to an organisation, do you think? I think there's
1: huge benefits. A nurse practitioner has a nursing lens, and I think that's critical. Um, we have lot mostly been trained within social sciences, but by adding the master's degree and that clinical preceptorship, We are also trained in diagnostic reasoning. So we can fully assess the patient. We can make diagnoses. We can put a plan of care, which will include pharmacological and Mm non-pharmacological plan of care. So it's not all about prescribing. Because it's a nursing lens, I think we can pick up some of those social things particularly well. We take our time with patients. Um, we are very good at picking up subtle things um, of the patients, having often difficult conversations with patients, Mm. um, working out what matters to them and what is the best for them. And sometimes it's not always treatment. Sometimes Mm. there's, particularly for our older population patient population with a number of comorbidities, when they get an acute illness, they might have other things that are more important to them than a lot of intervention. So Mm -hmm. having those hugely important conversations, I think nurse practitioners do well. The other thing that I've found interesting since I've been in a nurse practitioner role, nurses are very good at picking up when patients are dying. And I don't believe medical staff are as good at it. Um, You'll often go and see a patient deteriorating. You know conversations need to be had, yet the medical staff have not identified it um, because they uh, historically have have not had the same experience with dying patients as nurses have. Mm, You know, that's always been a nursing role. And that's what I've noticed over recent years. We do pick it up a lot quicker. Um, and we're willing to have the conversations and we make time to have the conversations. So I think there is um, certainly um, we nurse practitioners can diagnose and plan care um, in the area of expertise as well as um, registrars. Nurse practitioners are consistent. Um, they don't rotate every three or six months. So they become um, very experienced, and they have good relationships with the senior medical staff because they know each other. and um, They know each other's expertise. Um, and that hence provides value-added care. Um, they are a good investment because you don't have to train them every six months. Um, all the research suggests nurse practitioners, and even compared to SMOs at medical emergency calls, do just as well and better at communicating to the primary healthcare team and to nursing staff. So they um, are very good at working in a collaborative um, way um, to make sure that everything's in line for the patient's journey a lot better than just Mm -hmm. if uh, one person came in with a singular and maybe a purely diagnostic view.
0: Yeah. yeah, interesting, eh? Just that, yeah. So bringing that nursing lens to it all. It is, it's the nursing lens. A different perspective, yeah. 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 And what about the benefits for patients
1: then? I think the nursing lens is important. We're prepared to listen to patients. Um, we talk well to patients, and I'm not saying doctors don't. There's some very, very good doctors out there who do that very, very well. However, the It's often left to often the many, many of the junior doctors and their workloads are really very high. Um, I think burnout is really high in that group. Um, If, you know, it's not uncommon historically to have seen house officers crying because they didn't know what to do. They didn't have the support. They didn't know who to ask. Um, And they had this responsibility of a deteriorating sick patient Um, and they didn't know what to do and I think nurse practitioners can bring that experience and they can mentor the doctors as well but also fill a gap that they just don't have time to fill
0: yeah at the moment Mm. do you find that the um, probably more the junior medical officers you know sort of see the nurse practitioner as somebody they can um, nut things out with and talk to and bounce ideas off
1: I think so I think um, certainly when I became an First became a nurse practitioner, and for some rotations, every time say house officer change or registrars change, they may never have come across a nurse practitioner before. That is changing. I even had a doctor recently to say his mum's a nurse practitioner. So oh wow, it, yeah, so that's really exciting. He'll <laughs> make a wonderful doctor. The, yeah, and you're all about the role. Um, so. Certainly what we're trying in our organisation is to um, have a consistent nurse practitioner team coverage. We're aiming for a 24-7 team, and part of that is to be a resource to the junior medical staff um, Mm. because that's a huge support. If we can support them, it makes their work better. It makes their experience of being a doctor better. Um, And I do think um, care of patients is a team approach, and we can now, by working together, we can make it a lot smoother for the patients and their families.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: How many nurse practitioners are there at Middlemore? Oh, I, I think it's increasing now, and I don't even, isn't it lovely to say I do not know, don't know. the nurse practitioners at Middlemore, but it's increasing, and I think there's well over 10. I was the first nurse practitioner at Middlemore who was employed by Middlemore. Um, In our team at Critical Care Complex, there's now three of us, um, and we're expecting a fourth nurse practitioner who's submitting to nursing council probably in four weeks' time, and hopefully um, will be a nurse practitioner in the near future. And we've got three others lined up next year um, who did their master's a number of years ago, but the organisation wasn't ready our unit wasn't quite ready, Um, New Zealand wasn't quite ready. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so we are now bringing them through... um, giving them a bit more time um, to work with these nurses who are actually precepted their prescribing practicum when they finish their master's. Now, getting them through to nurse practitioner. Right from the start, I was very clear I wanted master's of nursing with nurse practitioner requirements because Mm -hmm. the future is going to be nurse practitioners. And we, it's taken since 2009, um, I think most of them were completing their Masters by 2012, 13, 14, 15. It's taken us five years to get there. Mm. Yeah, but we're getting there and we can see um, the future quite clearly now. And the organisation seems to be on board with the future as well, which is really that exciting. Must, that must
0: be a huge um, sort of tip of the hat to what has happened, but also, yeah. you know, recognising that this is a fantastic thing to have and yeah. benefits of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, the organization's extremely supportive of developing us. Mm. Um, it hasn't been without stumbles along the way um, mm. because it these nurses have to realize the future too, and for a while they didn't think it was going to be possible. Um, mm. But sometimes you just need to get the timing right and everything yeah. lined up, yeah. <laughs> and get all the dots in a row, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're suddenly moving forward, yeah. And we've got a plan, and of course, you need funding, um, but yeah. we've got a plan for that now. So, um, and hopefully, getting approved for a larger service in the near future. Mm. Yeah, the proposal's been written, um, and we're just working towards it.
0: Fantastic. Mm. Well, you know, We'll stand by and eagerly await the outcome yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah. No,
1: that'd be very exciting for us.
0: So your nurse practitioners work within the um, outreach team currently. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and what's their role? Okay, in- so the nurse practitioners in our team, um, they share the role with the ICU registrar. So at the beginning of the shift, um, we usually work out who's doing met calls How we're going to share the medical load. So rather than the registrar being the ICU person in the MET team, what's the nurse practitioner? um, We'll do the ICU reviews. Um, So any patient who needs a review, um, we can do those. Um, If we happen to be in the ward, we help the party workload because um, if they are really busy, um, we can step in and help them. And also, any when we're on, any patients the PAR team are concerned about, they will escalate to the nurse practitioner. So eventually, um, we hope to have t- nurse practitioners 24-7, so they will do that MET call role, ICU review role. In um, saying that, you don't want to be tied up doing MET call, MET call, MET call, MET call, mm-hmm. busy you know, six, seven, eight MET calls a day, you're putting out fires, rather yeah. than really looking at the patient and what's needed here. Um, and just dashing and having a busy day of MET calls, and yet that doesn't happen that often, but we are having increased MET calls over the year since we, we, I've been collecting data since 2013 on our MET calls per thousand admissions, and the MET calls are just steadily rising. Mm-hmm. Um, And some days we have busy days and some days we don't. But I wouldn't, I don't think it would be satisfying doing met mech all the time, a lot of them Mm. during the day, because that's, yes, you make a difference by putting out a fire, but you don't get really down to what's, the issues are and what needs tidying and what decisions need to be done for this patient. Do they need more um, tests? Is there things that have not been investigated or a plan of care being put in place yet? And that's satisfying about nurse practitioner being able to provide that overall and quite in-depth care um, to patients and working with the team to make that happen. Um, Yeah, I find that more satisfying than MET calls. MET calls, yeah. do. Um, yeah. They do make a difference but that's not where the satisfaction is. It's I like to go to a Met call and, and then get the fire put out um, and while there's still maybe a other m- member teams around who are part of the Met team, I like to then come back, go through everything what tests have come back what do we need to do now um, mm. and making sure the patient, the family and the team are really understand what's going on and where how we should go forward yeah
0: Mm. yeah how do you pick up your you know outside of the met calls um and the icu reviews do you pick up other patients along the way as well um because we haven't got a 24-7
1: team, and this is why we want a 24-7 team, by the beginning of next year, we'll have a seven-day-a-week team, um, mm-hmm. and we can advertise it to the junior medical staff. And then I expect it to be a, I'm very busy. It's very hard to mm-hmm. advertise it when you haven't got a consistent team.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's I think that's why we need to... We, when we developed our nurse practitioner workforce, we had three stages. And the final stage was doing the ICU reviews, doing the met calls, being a resource to the junior medical staff in the hospital. Um, but that has been slowed, that third stage, because we need a consistent team. Mm-hmm. You know, three nurse practitioners, I'm part-time. Um, other yeah. nurse practitioners do 0.9 or 0.8. Um, You can't advertise the team if it's not consistent. Mm. So Mm. that's why um, we hopefully will find out in the very near future um, that we can have a consistent team and we can advertise the service. And I think there's going to be heaps of work for the service I think people are going to find it a very valuable service to our organisation. That's the um, feedback that we're getting from the wider Mm organisation. This will be fabulous if people are available consistently. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
0: and have that back up all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's consistency. Yeah, it's the problem you see. You're victims of your own success. Yes, but um,
1: the organisation had to be ready for a 24-7 team. and. Up till now, you know, two years ago, they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you look at the number of nurse practitioner positions that have suddenly increased in New Zealand in all sorts of areas, Mm -hmm. people are getting, people are starting to see the value where that wasn't necessarily the same a number of years ago. People just thinking of cost rather than value added care.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) those expensive nurses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So who can become a nurse practitioner or who should become a nurse
1: practitioner? Anybody has the potential to become a nurse practitioner, every registered nurse. However, I do think um, there's qualities that you pick up very early in nurses um, of the ones who can become a nursing nurse practitioner. They're your shining stars. And I think you pick up shining stars in their first year of registration, to be quite honest. It's that willingness to go the extra mile. It's the enthusiasm about nursing. It's um, thinking and practice rather than doing, um, asking questions for good relationships with nursing nurses and doctors in their area. Um, so... Whereas historically, it was all older nurses becoming nurse practitioners, Mm. it is shifting. We've got Mm. young nurses becoming nurse practitioners now. There's nurses in their 20s who are nurse practitioners. Um, You know, they're in their late 20s. I have um, academically counseled a nurse, young nurse in our unit who is a high flyer and towards her Master of Nursing with the aim of being a nurse. Practitioner within our unit, um, people are familiar that that's going to happen, um, but this is going to be very exciting. You know, we shouldn't be losing our good nurses from nursing. We need to yeah. provide them with an exciting career in nursing. You know, I look at my career. I've got done private hospital work. I've been in education. I can combine clinical and university work. I've been self-employed providing education. Um, and eventually moving to my nurse practitioner where I can combine lots of education mm. research and nursing. But these young nurses, we can keep them in nursing. Um, and you know they may move from intensive care later but they'll take their schools as a nurse practitioner elsewhere.
0: Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Never going to it's going to be a future career for them yeah yeah. And there's nurse practitioners in the community who own their own private practice. Mm. These independent um, community clinics that are run by nurse practitioners, you know, the future is huge um, for nurses yeah. going into nursing now. Mm.
0: And it just makes sense, doesn't it? You know, bringing that whole different lens to everything.
1: Yes. Yeah. Different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, being able to work with different disciplines and try and collaborate with just different disciplines to make things happen, you know. We need, you know, we have intensive care, but we need really good people in the community. That whole flow, if we're going to get our healthcare system sorted, we need the whole flow through effect. Mm. And I suspect the young intensive care nurses and in intensive care, you know, they, we don't know, we haven't tested it, but they may stay there for many years. They may not as they get older, you know. Yeah. We don't know, but yeah. we haven't we haven't had a taste of it yet. And I think it's really exciting.
0: Mm. So what sort of role would a nurse practitioner fill in an ICU, do you think?
1: I think, once again, that nursing lens and being able to cross over to the diagnostic and plan of care lens. And now, UNIT, we have got really good quality activities going. You know, we have got nurses involved in different quality groups and we have a quality coordinator of our unit who leads those groups. But in spite of having these very inth- enthusiastic nurses in certain groups that we're looking at, it might be pain, it might be CLAB, um, there's multiple groups um, for quality Um, in our unit and we have good guidelines. We know there's still gaps and we know things aren't getting done when they should. And to have somebody constantly shift, you know, able to move very readily in the unit. So they'll be within the unit can do those, the medical activities required, but also provide that role modeling and that nursing lens. Oh, did you know that you should, should, Um, be doing this for your patient I see that this hasn't been done do you need to do you need me to talk about how to do this can I work with you you know I think that will be amazing once upon a time we had senior nurses doing that role but even our units ICUs have got more complex too Um, many of our senior nurses are in associate charge nurse roles or educator roles Um, they may not be as readily available on the floor um, working with nurses at the bedside, um, you know, trying to keep our ICU trained nurses on the floors has been challenging for a number of years now to keep them in our unit. And we're yeah. trying all sorts of things to keep them. Housing in Auckland's expensive. Yeah. Um, people are often moving out of Auckland or out of New Zealand to buy a house, set it up for their families you know people have got futures that they want to with goals they want to achieve Mm. so I think it's very challenging keeping nurses in intensive care and I don't think it's now unique for Auckland either no no No. I think it's happening around the country
0: Mm. Mm. are there other nurse practitioners within critical care throughout New Zealand no no no, middle
1: no, one. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> We're leading the
1: way with this one. Yeah. And saying that, I have had numerous conversations with nurses from other units mm. um, and people wanting to come and visit our unit to look at our system. I've shared a lot of information with other units and I've had conversations with medical staff from other units. So mm. it, conversations are happening and I yeah. know there are some units looking at. N- Nurse practitioners in their unit. And saying that some of these nurses, they've got a lot of papers that they've done, but it's never been structured to be mm-hmm. anything at the end. And so yeah. some of these nurses, although they're going to be very good nurse practitioners, they have to get the papers required for them to register as a nurse practitioner. There are quite academic requirements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I've had. Um, talks with um, intensivists um, the intensive care SMOs and some of them are interested in employing nurse practitioners um, and saying that they're often people they know they've got a relationship nice. they trust and I don't have any issues with that I think trust is a huge mm-hmm. thing about um, developing new positions in a unit
0: yeah, um,
1: yeah and shaping them and those nurse pra- new People are going to move into nurse practitioners, they will be meant to a nurse practitioner. It doesn't have to be a nurse practitioner who's working in the unit. It's a whole mm. nurse practitioner um, lens that has to be mentored so they don't become a mini doctor role. Mm. They have to, mm. it has to be a nurse practitioner role. Mm. Um, So where our SMOs are really good at helping, and mine were fantastic, helping me with that diagnostic plan of care role when I was training to be, um, or developing my role for a nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. and doing my prescribing practicum. Um, Certainly, and I was probably clear about that nursing lens right from the start, mm. and that's what they wanted. But some nurse practitioner, future nurse practitioners, may be less clear about that lens needed as they move um, towards their career goal of being a nurse practitioner. Mm. Yeah, it
0: must be very difficult, I guess, to maintain that nursing lens, and your, you know, that's your core being, isn't it, as a nurse um, when you have the medical side sort of trying to provide input as well and suck you that way.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. And I think that's why it's really important um, to be part of the nurse practitioner group. We have Mm -hmm. um, NPNZ Nurse Practitioner New Zealand, who is the professional group for nurse practitioners. And also I work with nurse practitioners um, at Middlemore and I work with nurse practitioners at the university I work at. And sometimes listening to their stories, and it might be just a small drop in conversation of experience they had a couple of days ago. um, And the most powerful stories are the ones they made a difference. And guess Mm. what? It's not always the diagnosis and plan of care. It's the other things that made that difference to allow that to happen. And it's often the nursing lens. And they're always very good reminders to me if I feel myself focusing on medical coming back with that nursing lens, yeah. Mm. And over the years, I've had constant reminders about that just by being exposed to other nurse practitioners. And, yeah, I think we all need to have those constant reminders that this is what we're here for,
0: yeah. Can you give, without putting it on the spot, can you give us an example of something like that? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of somebody who works in primary health care And um, she works in a lower socioeconomic area um, and works with paediatrics. And, you know, parents bring children into her, but she has actually gone out of her way to go and visit those families at home. She doesn't Mm -hmm. need to. To work with them of how they can improve healthcare and the type of house they're living, within the finances they have. And in a way that they are part of improving health care what will work for that family um, I think it's very easy to bring people into a room say at a clinic and say well this is what you need to do this is what you need to do this is what you need to do but no one's actually checked what's it going to work for how's it going to work mm-hmm. for them when they get home and it's often
0: so different isn't it
1: yeah and she talked about she just Talked to quickly and it was just a isolate wasn't you know it was an isolated piece of conversation that you know as we were passing really or I forget how we even got talking about and I thought that's what it's about you know going the extra mile to check that you talked about ducks in a row the ducks Mm. need to be in the row at that patient's home as well you know we can have you know we can have all the plans in the world but if they can't get to the pharmacy that's a problem Mm. how do they access a repeat prescription if they can't get to the pharmacy can we make sure they've got funding to get their prescription Mm. Um, what Mm. other things can we do for that family and home and I think the same thing goes for hospital level care it is really going out of your way to try and make a difference to that patient Mm. they are the cases you remember you don't remember yeah. the case that you put out a fire. You yeah. remember the case you made a difference, unless it was a horrible fire and you never really put it out. But yeah. <laughs> you remember those ones. But um, it's the ones you made a difference to. I think the ones that you remember, and you remember them for a long time. Mm.
0: Mm. And that's what gives it meaning, doesn't it? That's
1: what gives it meaning,
0: yeah. Mm. yeah. So... I guess the other side of your life as well, working life, is um, in the university, uh, mm-hmm. where you're a senior lecturer and also doing your research. But your research sort of spans both roles, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I
1: have. That. Yeah, I've always done research related to clinical, like even before I was a nurse practitioner. Before I came to Middlemore, I was involved in a private hospital setting up a. A private high dependency unit. So, um, and that was so the hospital could get larger surgery and doctors would be okay about doing the, you know, bigger surgery at mm. that site. So I set up a high dependency unit known as a level one unit, I suppose now. Um, and so I started doing research when I was there on what we did. And in fact, I was probably pushing a few boundaries there. (laughs) Um, I can remember presenting it as a free paper at a conference. So, you know, some of that work has been published. Um, And and you're meant to talk for 10 minutes, five minute questions. I was there being challenged by doctors for about 20 Mm. minutes. (laughs) and it took me a little while to get over it although I responded quite well and I had feedback from some intentivists that that's what we need to have more at our conferences and I look all those years later and here we are doing what I was finally um, (laughs) talking about um so I start so I I think what I have thought for a long time is to have credibility you need data Mm -hmm. And I think it's useful to know you have published it and your data has been um, Mm peer-reviewed and you have showed this outcome. So I think certainly adds credibility to voice. So a lot of my research is related to our practice. Um, My PhD research, interestingly enough, was related to nurse practitioner um, and registrar diagnostic reasoning. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to see if nurse practitioners could, did have the same level of diagnostic reasoning as doctors and how they differed. And that came out early in nurse practitioner development really, um, when Des Gorman, um, he was, um, had a lead position, a professor, um, Des Gorman at a university and he was all chair, also chair of the Health Workforce New Zealand mm. and he published with Mary um, Jane Gilmore in um, Journal of Primary Health I think it was way back in 2009 and it was around a place for nurse practitioner in the health system and Des Gorman said no. Of course Mary Jane who was a nurse practitioner said yes. Mm -hmm. But he basically said that doctors have the cognitive ability, and this is published in the journal, to um, diagnose where nurse practitioners don't. And it's really important when a patient comes to the front door of the service with um, problems with breathing, they need a doctor to be able to work out what's causing that problem to diagnose that um, breathing. So that was one of the triggers for my research, um, (laughs) really, because I, and in fact, um, Professor Jenny Carrier, who's done a lot for nurse practitioner practice in New Zealand, when I was designing my PhD and presenting at at nursing school, she said to me, Alison, what if the nurse practitioners come out poorly? Mm. And I said, we if we come out poorly, we're going to have to recognise that we've got some work to do. And so that was always a burden going through all this PhD, actually. Um, but it came out, um, and I was very lucky to have the registrars, most were senior registrars, um, and most were... Um, going into specialty jobs the following year. So I was very fortunate to have those. And it came out that they were very similar and there was no significant difference between their diagnostic reasoning abilities. There was no Mm. difference in their thinking style because I tested diagnostic reasoning or um, decision-making style. So that was quite useful. Um, in saying that Des Gorman came to a number of nurse practitioner meetings and it might have been while I was doing my PhD um, and I think he challenged us in good ways really Mm. and one thing he said was as you develop as nurse practitioners you're going to have to be very clear how to articulate um, a nurse practitioner compared to a clinical nurse specialist and Mm. I thought they were very very wise words so Um, And so he came to meetings for a little while after that. And I think I learned a lot from his questions. Mm. And I think in the early days, I think that I don't think that was done quite so well by some nurse practitioners, they could not articulate the difference. And the difference Mm. is managing complexity. Um, managing complexity because of multiple diagnoses. It might be multiple acute, multiple acute on chronic, um, might be including psychosocial issues, Mm. um, and be able to work through everything and still get a good plan in place. Um, And Mm. it's that complexity and the willing to manage complexity that I think is a big difference between nurse practitioners and clinical nurse specialists.
0: Yeah, and obviously I guess the ultimate goal is the two working together to achieve the best outcome. for Yes,
1: yes, and clinical nurse specialists are great, don't get me wrong, Mm. but there has to be a point of difference because there is a different scope. Now, Mm. I've gone off quite... Um, gone off from my initial questions on research. So that was my PhD research. But since that time, I've been interested in other areas. So I realised that we're relatively innovative. So we use nasal high flow in the ward fairly early on in our hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first saw the um, machine, I went down quite cynical. How could they possibly have (laughs) a machine for nasal high flow in the ward? And I was pretty impressed. So um, we did that research um, every time one of the PAR team nurses has an idea, I say, and they just want to do a quick order or something, I say, we need to publish this. Let's do this mm. properly. And mm. so this has created quite a lot of research. Obviously, um, the effectiveness of the PAR team is a piece of research. Um, developing a um, patient and far now call for concern where they can... Um, contact the PAR team directly Mm. we did some research around whether the patients and families would want such a service and Mm. some of the stories that came out of that were really interesting and one thing that really impacted on me it was a patient who had a patient at risk team trigger so it wasn't a high trigger it was a relatively low trigger and so you know we think the met calls are sicker than the patient's Triggered mm. to the patient at risk team, but this patient said, "I thought I was going to die. I thought this was it. Um, my I looked at my wife, and she thought I was going to die too. And I realised after doing that piece of research how we normalise abnormal." in Mm. hospitals how we normalize abnormal vital signs and we need to stop normalizing abnormal vital signs because if it was our family member we wouldn't be normalizing (laughs) abnormal (laughs) so that was really really um, powerful doing that research was made a quite a powerful um, piece of work Um, Mm -hmm. we've been doing quite a lot on the national early warning score Uh, we modified a couple of Triggers for the National Early Warning Score at our hospital. So, um, just accepted for publication is 12 months of our MET call or blue zone trigger data. So, mm-hmm. blue zone triggers a MET call. Um, and we converted the scores to the National Early Warning Score to work out what impact it would have on our patient population. And it, so that was been an interesting piece of work. And I'm about to write, that was mainly medical ward patients because um, surgical hadn't come on board with patient track, which is our electronic vital signs mm-hmm. system. Um, I have finished analysing and writing up for the hospital medical surgical. So I'll write that up as well. Um, but it's the same impact on our patients. So
0: um,
1: mm-hmm. certainly... If we um, went on to the national um, early warning scoring system, 38% of Maori would not have a met call. Now, that's quite a lot for our patient population. Um, The average age of met calls in Maori and Pacifica is 60 years compared to 74 years in European, and it's related to comorbidity. Mm. Um, And if we want equity, we might have to buy Provide a better service to our patient population to get yeah. equity. So, um, so these results are, I think, are really powerful to make sure that we provide the right service for our patient population and we can mm. meet their need. And maybe um, one size doesn't fit all.
0: Well, I was just going to ask that in the terms of so you know if we are trying to um, address inequity, mm. should all hospitals in New Zealand actually be using your version of the early warning score rather than the the national? Mm, I understand
1: um, there's interest in replicating that score Mm. um, or that research in Christchurch. And Christchurch's got quite a different population to Mm. um, counties. And it may be that they're quite different. And I think that will be useful um, because maybe, we, you know, We have to be unique in the way we meet our community health needs. Mm. What was really interesting, however, a lot of early warning scores based on large data sets coming off electronic bases. What we identified in this research, only just over 50%, I I might have my facts wrong because I haven't got that facts some front of me but quite a high percentage of patients um, who had a met call did not have the vital signs triggering that met call recorded electronically Mm. because the priority for the nurse when they see something abnormal like a low blood pressure is to put out the met call right it's not doing a full set of observations and entering it into the electronic system and I suspect that's just the way nurses work, work and I yeah. do think we have this philosophy work is imagined and work is done mm. um, and I think and I don't believe our nurses are any different to nurses working anywhere else to be quite honest you know no. when they notice something that needs they need to sort out quickly their priority is putting out the call yeah, and you certainly, yeah. when I go to calls, the nurses have all the observations for you. They can tell you everything. Mm. It's not as if they don't know what's going on. Their priority was to get the team there, put yeah. out the call, get the um, emergency trolley there, all those things that come. And so that was a really interesting finding.
0: Mm. Mm. This is why we do research, isn't it? That's yeah. why you do research. Which you the unexpected. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And that's what makes research exciting, because it provides answers to so many things that you would never have discovered if you didn't start doing it. And that was a surprise to us, too.
0: Mm, Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that and to read the paper when it's um, available as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we still have this idea that even as a small country um, of only 5 million, that we can have national-wide policies, procedures, guidelines, scoring systems um, that apply to all. But, you know, as you so rightly pointed out, the the different hospitals, different district health boards, towns are just so Mm. different.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Mm. it's going to be an interesting piece of work in the future where we will go. Um, Mm. But certainly, from our perspective, at the moment, we believe we need to meet the needs of our community.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: and particularly yeah. in you know one of our um, goals, certainly for counties, is equity, but mm. that's the same for our um, Ministry of Health too. Interestingly enough,
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> few areas to work on there. <laughs> few
1: areas to work on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, in terms of the outreach team, I guess it's a fairly, obviously a pretty busy job mm-hmm. um, and could, I imagine, be quite overwhelming and stressful some days, depending on mm-hmm. you know, what situations you encounter. How does the team cope with that or how do you cope with that and what do you do to sort of leave it all at work before you mm-hmm. head home for the day?
1: I think a really important thing is we've got good systems in place Um, to identify deterioration and sometimes um, and most of the time the system works doesn't necessarily work all the time and I don't mind admitting that Um, but most of the time it works and so I think it's appreciating your role as a team I think if you took it from an individual thing I'm having to go and do this um Mm. it's not quite finished and I really want to stay on and finish it we have a 24 7 service we have to come back and do another day we can't afford to burn yourself out and sometimes yes I was meant to go off at seven o'clock but I'm in a family meeting and don't leave till quarter to nine but that is not every day Mm. so I think the secret is realizing that we're a 24 7 team and somebody will take over from us. Mm. You know, we can't do it all, um, all by ourselves, all the time. And we may have to leave something slightly unfinished for another yeah. person. And it's actually being comfortable with that. I think you get used to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, there's a nurse practitioner, well, an intern I'm working with who register as a nurse practitioner in the near future. And she said, and it's very common before nurses register as a nurse practitioner go to panel, and I was the same. You felt if you knew nothing. you yeah. know, you, When you were thinking of being a nurse practitioner, you thought you knew a lot. But when, by the time you apply, you feel that you know nothing. And I think you have to be comfortable with that reality. The more knowledge you have, the more you realise you don't know. Mm. Um, and... So you need to feel comfortable with um, discussing with other people. The SMOs are great. Um, Getting a shared view can be quite useful. I think going home, recognising that you have done a good job that day, you've got somebody to continue You've got systems in place to continue and come back for your next shift. I think that's vital. And, yes, sometimes I, you know, I've left something and I'm driving home in the car and I'm thinking about it. I thought, oh, I forgot to cross that drug off, you know. And you just I think when you think about something and you're coming back the next day, you know, I think, do I need to do it now or can Mm -hmm. it wait till the morning? Mm-hmm. And if I, it needs to be done now, I'll ring somebody and say, look, or usually the parting really, because they'll always answer their phones. <laughs> um, somebody will answer the phone and I say, look, can you go over and make sure this drug's crossed off? I forgot to cross yeah. it off. Um, and yeah. can you get the house officers to do that for me? And they're very good at doing it. Things that can wait till tomorrow, um, I leave till tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I have got more comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. Um I think the first year is very anxiety inducing. Mm. Nothing ever prepares you for that responsibility. Um, but it gets better as time yeah. goes on. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with not knowing everything. What I do know, I can do quite well. And it's based on a heck of a lot of experience of mm. doing it in that situation. Mm. You know, lots of years in intensive care, lots of years of seeing this before
0: yeah Mm, yeah that prior experience
1: yeah yeah Yeah. um so i think however i do believe that you have to be able to do something other than work i don't check emails on my days off um well done yeah no i just find i don't when i'm on holiday i only on holiday i've been quite selfish for for that um because otherwise it's only going to affect my health and my week everybody's got a weakness in their health mine's migraines oh,
0: <laughs>
1: so not. I think you have to I think it's accepting what you can do and you are part of a team you're not an individual I think mm-hmm. that's quite crucial
0: yeah it's really important to remember isn't it no matter yeah we think it's you know the onus is on us there are usually other people around who can who can pick it up yeah yeah. <laughs> Yep. Thank you. Well, um, I guess that's probably us for the morning. I should let you get back to, you know, <laughs> your plan for the day. Oh, thank um, you, Rachel. Right, sure. But thank you for this. If people who were listening were interested in, you know, um, investigating possibly a nurse practitioner career, where would be the best place for them to head to? Um. There's good information
1: on the Nursing Council of New Zealand website. So Mm -hmm. on the Nursing Council of New New Zealand website, there's information of what's required to be a nurse practitioner, the competencies of a nurse practitioner, um, and how to apply. So it's got that whole process on the website. The nurse, um, NPNZ, Nurse Practitioner New Zealand, also has um, quite a lot of information on their website. It's also got contact emails, um, although there's a space in the email to stop spam, but of people who a nurse practitioner who you can talk to um, oh, and fantastic. ring in your, or email in your area of practice, because I think some people want somebody in their area of practice to actually talk to what is yeah. required. Certainly, when I went through I didn't have people in my area of practice but I knew I had to prepare for my panel so I rang a urology nurse practitioner to ask yeah. how to prepare but now there's so many nurse practitioners in all areas and most are very willing to put you on to somebody mm-hmm. or give mm-hmm. you some of their time but I suggest um Check the nursing council website first. Check what's available on nurse practitioner in New Zealand. Um, there's some good work on the Ministry of Health nursing website on nurse practitioners. Um, little booklets on different things that nurse practitioners do. Um, so once you've looked at those resources, you can also I suggest um, nurses chat to a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. um, from the education side of it. I don't think people will necessarily know they want to be a nurse practitioner until they've started their master's. So it's not mm-hmm. something people say, I'm going to be a nurse practitioner so I'm doing my master's. That's not always the route. But also the universities who provide the Master of Nursing or the Nurse Practitioner Training Program, um, they may be able to provide you good advice from an academic mm-hmm. perspective of how to prepare yourself to be a nurse practitioner in the future
0: mm. oh that's fantastic well fingers crossed we'll be you know leading to the development of some new nurse practitioners in the future I think
1: yeah. so I think it's um it's exciting time for nurses an exciting opportunity for future nurse practitioners at the moment I think it's very exciting looking forward to seeing it all happen fantastic
0: yeah. we all will so yeah nice. well done and um Thank you very much for today's interview. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. I so enjoyed talking to Alison and really enjoyed listening to her insights into making a difference, picking up shining stars, getting all our ducks in a row, meeting the needs of our community and how doing research can be exciting when we find answers. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you could join us. If this is your first time listening then welcome and thanks for joining us and if you are a returning listener then thank you for coming back. I hope you are enjoying the experience. If you have any feedback or suggestions I would love to hear them. What did you enjoy? Who would you like to hear from? Would you like to make a guest appearance? Please contact me by email and until next time I hope this proves to be critical to your success.